You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to a Thursday edition of the show. Hopefully you guys are all doing well. A lot to get to, as you well know, here on this podcast. We're going to talk about some notoriety for BYU from one of my favorite writers on the sport. Some mid-season awards being handed out, and BYU features prominently into them. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about what you guys want to talk about. Listener mailbag edition of the podcast on a hashtag Twitter Thursday. We'll answer some of your pressing questions. And we'll also catch up on some thoughts from media availability with Coach Eric Mateos on the BYU offensive line and how he thinks things are going for the Cougars overall. Today's show is brought to you. Our title sponsor is rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low pricing, all of the parts your car, truck, or SUV will ever need. Check them out now at rockauto.com. All right, let's get to it here. Waste no more time and get going. This is the Locked On Cougars podcast for October 22nd, 2020. What's up, guys? I'm Jay Catch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. A big thank you once again for joining us on your daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. If you're new to the show, welcome on in. We aim to be your one-stop shop for all the BYU sports news you guys need to know about each and every day, as well as passing along insider information that you will not find anywhere else. And a big thank you for hitting that subscribe or follow button, so that way you never miss an episode as we talk BYU sports on the daily. Uh, First things first on today's podcast, Bill Connolly from ESPN, formerly of SB Nation, does a masterful job covering college football from a very analytical approach. His SP Plus rankings, I think, are the gold standard in my mind for analytical insight into how the college football universe can be quantified and examined And I think he just does an overall great job covering the great sport of college football. But he put out a column or an article earlier this week talking about the Midway Point Awards. And he said that this is the Midway Point-ish, obviously, because the Big Ten is just starting their season this weekend. We still have two weeks until the Pac-12 gets going. The Mountain West is just firing up. The MAC will be shortly thereafter. And it's just a weird college football season all the way around. And I think many of you would agree with that. It's just been one of those things. You kind of just have dealt with it as things have come and gone. But I think the overall gist and insight from this is that BYU is very highly thought of. So let's get to this here and talk about where uh, Bill mentions BYU. First things first, he says, the best teams of the first seven weeks, his preseason projections are part of my SP plus rankings for a reason. It makes them far more predictive. Priors are your friend, and I use them. If I were deriving SP plus rankings from only what happened so far in 2020 with no preseason assumptions of any kind, here is your top 10. Number one, Clemson. Number two, Cincinnati. That's a surpriser. The Bearcats, number two. Number three, Alabama. Number four, BYU. So the Cougars are a top five team uh, based on his SP plus rankings without preseason uh, numbers being included in that. Very highly thought of. He says top five offenses using the same metric would be Florida, Alabama, Virginia Tech, Memphis, and then BYU. So the Cougars inside the top five on offense. I don't think anybody would argue with that based on how BYU's done offensively this year. But then I think the first thing that people may think is a snub is that in the Heisman, the Walter Camp, the best player of the year award, Zach Wilson is not listed there. 
by by Bill Connolly. He has a number of other players listed there, but Zach Wilson does not feature in there. Number one, Trevor Lawrence. Number two, Mac Jones. Number three, Travis Etienne. And then he has late arriving threats with Justin Fields and Keaton Slovis. So interesting to not see Zach Wilson there. But the Doak Walker Award watch list, which is the best running back in the country, he has Tyler Algier number three on that list. So some hype there for a guy who has just been absolutely lights out for the Cougars, speaking of Algier. I've really enjoyed what Tyler's done for the Cougars this year, and his play uh, through the first five games of the season is absolutely masterful, so it's good to see him getting some hype. He has Travis Etienne, number one, and then Khalil Herbert from Virginia Tech, number two, and then BYU right there. Uh, And then other notes here coming from our good friend Bill Connolly. We'll have to have him on the podcast at some point. He's a great interview. He has the Outland Trophy Award, which is the best interior lineman. And it has number one, Ben Cleveland from Georgia. Number two, Nico Ezador from Texas State. So a guy that BYU fans will see this coming Saturday, Nico Ezador. And then number three, Clark Barrington. And here's what he said about this. He says, I used three different criteria to choose my three nominees so far. The guy most impressive to my eyes, which is Cleveland. The most disruptive defensive tackle in the country so far. Ezador has eight tackles for loss. It's a guy BYU is going to be very wary of in this game on Saturday. And then finally, a guy on a great offensive line who per Sports Info Solutions data hasn't missed a block so far this season. Clark Barrington. Barrington's been very, very good. He hadn't, he didn't have a very good game against UTSA, but beyond that, he's just been lights out all the way around. So congratulations to Clark Barrington on getting some well-deserved praise from the national media. Other awards handed out. Lou Groza Award, number three, uh, number three on that list is Jake Oldroy, BYU's kicker. Uh, as he wrote here, speaking of Bill Connolly, living in boom times for kickers, friends. Amid all the special teams disasters, we've already seen five field goals of 54-plus yards sell through the uprights, including one each from the three I listed above. Of course, uh, Jake Oldroyd has just been incredible for BYU. He declared himself fully healthy earlier this week in media availability, and that's very good news if you're a BYU fan looking to see Jake the make back out there. Then finally, a couple other notes here. Coach of the Year, Kalani Sitake, number one on the list, followed by Justin Fuente and Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. Connolly wrote of Sitake and what he's done so far for BYU this year in very glowing terms, saying the following, quote, after a disappointing 7-6 and six year last season, Sitake's Cougars have been on an outright rampage in 2020. I don't think he's wrong there, and it's good to see a guy like Kalani Sitake getting some pub. Matthew Detweiler, one of our good friends of the podcast, has been part of our Fan Fridays during the offseason. He actually messaged me earlier this week, and we'll get to some of his other questions here in a little bit. He said, I feel like it's time to start talking about Kalani for Coach of the Year. Well, Matthew, apparently Bill Connolly thinks you're dead on with that and has Kalani Sitake as the top dog or the top contender for Coach of the Year, and that's a positive development if you're a BYU fan and want to see Sitake get some well-deserved pub for what he has done with this team so far. All right, so there you go. Some of the awards or the front runners for awards, according to Bill Connolly. Very quantitative analysis from him. He's not a guy that writes a lot in terms of what he sees, etc. He just wants to really use the numbers to back up what he's talking about. So some good stuff there from Bill 
Connolly, and good to see BYU featuring prominently in that piece. All right, here in a moment, we'll get to your guys' voice. It's a Twitter Thursday on the podcast. Your questions, I asked for them on social media earlier this week. We'll answer those here in a moment. We'll also get to a recap of what we learned from BYU media availability yesterday with Eric Mateos, the offensive line coach, here in a little bit as well. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends at rockauto.com, guys. We've talked a lot about rockauto.com, but the best part about this is rockauto.com is a family-owned company, folks. 20 20 years old, working online to make taking care of your vehicle, whether it's a car, truck, or SUV, about as easy as it possibly can be. And that's what we love about this company. They do a great job. All the parts you order from rockauto.com are shipped directly to your door. You don't have to join a membership program to get the low prices they list there every day. In essence, rockauto.com wants to make it about as simple and as easy a process to take care, the best care of your vehicle you possibly can. No matter what the part is, what you need for your car, they have it all available for you at rockauto.com. Phenomenal company, like I said. When you stop by rockauto.com, make sure to mention Locked On and How Did You Hear About Us box, so that way they know that we sent you. It's a real simple way to support the podcast and also support our good friends at rockauto.com. Once again, that's rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low pricing, all of the parts your car, truck, or SUV will ever need. Check them out now at rockauto.com. All right, folks, it is mailbag time here on the podcast, the hashtag Twitter Thursday on the Locked On Cougars podcast. Love getting your guys' insights on what you want to hear about on the podcast. So anytime you guys have questions, feel free to send them in. You can search out the show on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at Locked On Cougars. My personal Twitter feed is at Jacob C. Hatch. And also you can email the show anytime, LockedOnBYU at gmail.com. So a myriad of ways to send in your questions. Feel free to send them anytime. Love answering the questions we get from our listeners. So big thank you to all of you who submitted them earlier this week. And without further ado, let's dive on in. First one comes in from Mark Johnson at Evil Devil Doll, I believe is what it is. Mark Johnson saying, do you think the defense runs more rush four-man coverage going forward? Mark, I do think they they will do that more often going forward. But as Preston Hadley said earlier this week during his media, media availability, the decisions made on how BYU is going to go about defending opponents is on a week-by-week basis. And I do believe that they have different game plans for different opponents. Obviously, a team like uh, Houston, they have some great athletes. And BYU wasn't sure how they would do in terms of guarding those guys man-on-man. And they started out and it had some issues with it. Went to zone, really got carved up in the zone. And then realized, you know what? If we want to win this game, we got to take some more chances and really go man coverage. And they did that. Cover one was their main choice in that game. It was good to see it pay off for the Cougars. I think it has built some confidence with this coaching staff. You know what? We can do this and actually have success with it. And we're going to continue to build and use it as something we can uh, use on future opponents. Obviously, there'll be other games where BYU feels like, you know what, maybe a zone concept or a drop eight scheme is going to work better for us. And you may see that come back. But I think the nice part is we're seeing the versatility of what BYU can do defensively. And that's the positive news if you're a BYU football fan. So big thank you for your question, Mark. Always good to hear from you. Next question up is Nick Chadwick. He is at Nick Chadwick 15 on Twitter. He says, does Kalani Satake need to get more involved in defensive line recruiting? And with Tonga upset about the 353 is that scaring off defensive line recruits uh, I know I responded to you Nick on Twitter asking for more clarification what you heard about Tonga speaking of Kairos Tonga being upset with his role uh, and you said you'd seen some columns and maybe he'd been dissatisfied with how he fit into BYU's plans I can tell you this much Nick 
you're going to see BYU go after the best and brightest. We saw yesterday that Logan Fanot, one of the premier pass rush specialists in the high school ranks in the state of Utah, who was a one-time BYU commit before opening things back up, actually has BYU listed in his top four. That was a little bit surprising to me. I don't necessarily know all of the insights about his recruitment. If you want more of that stuff, check out sites like Cougar Sports Insider. Jeff Hansen does a great job with that, but... It was interesting to see Logan Fano pick BYU as one of his final four teams. We'll see if that ultimately pays off uh, for a guy like Fano and BYU getting his commitment once again. But regardless, I think that BYU winning football games, Nick, cures all. They can go recruit a lot of guys and say, guys, we're winning a lot of games here. And obviously the recruits are going to ask, well, what if we play against better competition? Well, that means a bigger stage for us to show what we can do. You come in here, you show what you can do, and we're going to do everything within our power to get you to the next level, let you have some success playing here at BYU, etc. So I don't necessarily think that Kairos Tonga will have much to say about it. I think Kairos has been more than complimentary of what he's liked about his time as a Cougar. And I do think that BYU just win football games. That's all that matters. I think BYU has shown that they can play with a three-man front, a four-man front. They can do whatever they need to to have success on defense. And that should be exciting for a defensive lineman, especially one on the interior who knows, you know what, if I come in and have the same type of impact that Kairos Tonga has, I'm going to get all kinds of uh, notoriety and a lot of pub for what I'm doing. And I think that's the positive news you can recruit to if you're the BYU football program. All right, a couple other questions uh, coming in here. Let's get to one from our good friend Matthew Detweiler. He's actually got two back-to-back. I mentioned him earlier on in the show. First one, could you do your best to explain why certain types of coaches are up in the booth, like coordinators or grad assistants, and why others are on the sidelines? Uh, Simply put, Matthew, there is a comfort level for different coaches based on their background in coaching, if they like working in the booth or if they like being on the field. This year for BYU, there's one notable change, I think, in their coaching structure and which guys are in the booth, etc. And that is the defensive coordinator, Elisa Tuiaki, is up in the booth. He previously had been on the sideline. Most defensive coordinators like to have their feet on the ground working with their charges. But Elisa has moved up into the booth this year and that has led Kalani Sitake at different points, and he does it fairly often, to signal in plays. I think it leads a lot of people to think, well, Kalani's actually the defensive coordinator, and he's calling the plays. Very well may be the case in certain scenarios and circumstances, but by and large, I think Elisa is sitting up top trying to see more of what the offense is doing, see that bigger picture, the 30,000-foot the view, if you will, so that way he can call a more effective defense. Uh, Guys like Aaron Roderick, super comfortable working the box. Aaron is an offensive coordinator, loves to see plays develop from high above rather than seeing it on the ground. Whereas a guy like Jeff Grimes, who's a former offensive line coach, he prefers to be on the ground working with his guys in the trenches, to use that expression, and be right there with it. So simply put, I think it's very much just a comfort factor. And different positions require different things. There's a lot of graduate assistants, you're right, Matthew, that go up into the booth because they're tracking plays, how players are doing things for the position coaches they're working with and for. So it's just all kind of depends on the role but mainly, it's more of a comfort thing. If you're comfortable working up in the booth, hey, they put you up there. It's a more, I guess you would call a sanitized environment. Not as much going on around you. You can uh, focus in on the game, have your headset on and talk to your players. But regardless, 
I think that BYU's found a good balance here. I like seeing guys like uh, Aaron Roderick up top working in tandem with Jeff Grimes on the ground. Additionally, Elisa Tuiaki, he's got guys like a Preston Hadley, Gennaro Guilford, and Kalani Satake down there on the sideline that he's talking to. And they're just putting in whatever insight they've got and making sure that everybody's fully aware of what they're seeing from up top. So hopefully that answers your question. I just ultimately I think it comes down to these guys' background as coaches and what they're comfortable most doing. Uh, other question from Matthew says, how much longer do you think BYU can hold on to Jeff Grimes before he gets a head coaching job and also keep Aaron Roderick before he gets another offensive coordinator offer? Uh I think that there's a time coming that both of them are going to get more interest. Obviously, BYU does not pay quote-unquote market rate uh, for the guys that they have coaching at BYU. They open the bank a little bit more for a guy like Jeff Grimes, also uh, Ty Detmer. The most they'd ever paid offensive coordinators have been the last two for BYU. But I do think that at some point here, you're going to see more interest coming in for a guy like Jeff Grimes. I do think that he does not uh, appear to be long for Provo, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Jeff has always been a guy who has spent a lot of time working at the highest levels of football, and now that he's an offensive coordinator, I think he'd like to prove that, you know what, what I'm doing in coordinating an offense can work at the Power 5 level. So at some point, there will come an offer for Jeff that I think he won't be able to refuse to use the Godfather reference, and he'll move on. But when that is... When it'll happen, if it's after this season or it's two or three seasons down the road, I couldn't begin to tell you. But I do think he has eyes for bigger jobs at the Power 5 level in particular. But you know what? There's an interesting point about this, and this is a little bit of an aside. I I had a chance to talk to Jeff Grimes, and this is probably shortly after he joined the BYU football program three years ago as the offensive coordinator, and I asked him about all of the moving he had done in his college career, and he said, Jake, there's one interesting thing about this. There's only one place I have ever returned to coach, and it's right here at BYU. Jeff likes Provo. He likes BYU. He likes the environment. He understands the dynamic here, despite not being a member of the LDS faith or a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he gets it. But He has enjoyed his time in Provo. I don't think he's going to rush out of here for the first gig that comes available to him. I'm sure he's had options for other gigs. He's going to find the right situation for himself, and that's the positive news. Now, here's my opinion, though. Whenever Jeff does move on, and if Aaron Roderick is still here when Jeff moves on, I think that Aaron Roderick just moves that one seat to the left or right, and he becomes the offensive coordinator with the title. He has the passing game coordinator title right now with the quarterback's coach, but very easily, if he's still here, if and when Jeff Grimes moves on, Aaron Roderick is your next offensive coordinator. If things continue on, there are going to come offers for a guy like Aaron Roderick, but I do know that additionally to a guy like Jeff Grimes, Aaron Roderick values being in the state of Utah due to his family situation. It's where he's comfortable. He played at BYU. He understands the dynamics of Brigham Young University. He's coached to the Power 5 level, obviously, with Utah. So I think that Aaron is a little less inclined to leave the state than maybe a guy like Jeff Grimes. But regardless, BYU is getting the best of both worlds, having two high-level offensive minds work with them. And that's not to say that the other guys on the BYU offensive coaching staff aren't brilliant in their own mind. I think guys like Fessy Satake, who's been a successful offensive coordinator at Weber State, Steve Clark, also at the G5 level, at the FCS level at Weber State in Southern Utah, 
there's a lot of talent in the coaching ranks for BYU, especially on the offensive side. And that doesn't mean to leave out Eric Mateos, who we'll get to here in a moment. He does a great job with the offensive line. So right now, all things considered, this offensive coaching staff for BYU, I think is very, very talented. They know what they're doing. And I think it's a positive sign that BYU, if they do at some point start seeing guys get more offers to move on to bigger and better gigs, well, it means you've done something right. You're doing the right things. They don't go and hire people who have sub-500 records. Let's be honest about that. They go and hire people who have success and proven track records. And right now, BYU is showing they have a track record of some success here on offense. And I do think that there will be programs who pay attention to that and look deeper into, okay, would Jeff Grimes or Aaron Roderick or maybe Efesi Satake, et cetera, be the right fit for us? We'll see what happens. So big thank you once again for you guys' questions. It's a blast to talk with you guys each week. Hoping to make mailbags more of a regular part of the podcast. So, still, like I said, feel free to send in your questions anytime. Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Locked On Cougars, and email the show anytime, lockedonbyu at gmail.com. All right, we will wrap up this Thursday edition of the show with a couple of thoughts from Eric Mateos about the offensive line play of late for the Cougars and what he has seen from the Cougars so far this season that makes him think, you know what? We're going to be better, and we're also going to get better as we move along here. So more of that here in just a moment. Before we do that, though, if you haven't done so already, another plea for you guys to leave us a rating and review, especially if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. The vast majority of you guys do. Last I saw, I think 82% of our listenership listens to us via Apple Podcasts. So if you haven't done so already, leave us a rating and review what you like about the show. Those five-star ratings are worth their weight in podcast gold. They really help us find more BYU fans, and BYU fans in turn find us. So leave that, leave us that rating and review. We're not just asking you to do it willy-nilly. I do have some BYU Nike gear I've been giving away every so often here. We're going to do another giveaway soon. And if you do leave us that rating and review, you will be entered to win uh, some of that BYU Nike gear. So we're hooking you guys up. Make sure to leave us that five-star rating and a sentence or two what you like about the show. And a big thank you in advance for your support of us here on the Locked on Cougars podcast. As we round out a Thursday edition of the show, let's run down a couple of things we learned from BYU media availability yesterday. First things first, BYU offensive line coach Eric Mateos was speaking to the media, and he was asked, how would you grade your team's play and your unit's play in terms of BYU's offensive line halfway through your season? Obviously, BYU could add some more games here, but as it stands, they are 5-0 and halfway through their current slate of games. Here's what Coach Mateo said about his team and his unit, speaking of the offensive line, and how they've performed halfway through the season. That's a great question. Um, I'd probably give us a, a B, I think. Um, we certainly have excelled in a lot of areas. I've uh, been very pleased with our pass protection. I think, um, I think we've done a really good job there. I think we're... Um, I think we're we're doing pretty well in pressure with the quarterback. Um, I'm really pleased with uh, knowledge of the game. We've kept missed assignments uh, way down from last year and have guys doing the jobs that they're assigned to do. Um, things I think we need to improve on is straining through through the whistle. I think we need to see more knockdowns and you get more knockdowns and more great finishes by straining through the whistle. And so I think that's certainly an area that we need to improve on this second half of the season if we want to if we want to 
you know, be able to look back on this season and say, hey, we were one of the best old lines in the country. I think we got to do a better job of straining through the whistle and finishing plays. There you have it. Eric Mateos giving BYU's offensive line a B five games into the season. I think it's a very positive thing to hear him talk about the fact that, hey, they're doing a good job, but they could do a much better job. I think if you were to grade them after the first game against Navy, he probably gives them an A, but a B means there's still plenty of room for improvement, but they've been doing a pretty solid job all the way around. They're 5-0 and on the season. So this is a good offensive line. They're doing some great things, and I think that they're going to continue to improve. Additionally, earlier on in the week, we talked about this, how all five positions on the offensive line depth chart have an or next to the players' names. Well, Coach Mateos has asked about why that was put in there, and here's what he had to say in that regard. Just remove complacency uh, from being an option with our room uh, we got guys that are healthy again which is another factor but just you know I don't I don't think that you can get into the midpoint of the season and and start feeling fat and happy with your job I think as coaches we got to feel keep feeling pressure I think the O-line needs to keep feeling pressure and we got guys I mean we got Keanu's healthy Tristan's healthy uh, we got guys that have been out for a long time that are healthy and so um, stables full and and everybody's competing and and who, who plays on Saturday, it's going to be based on their week of practice. It's going to not be based on any other game uh, ever in the history of this place. It's going to be based on this week of, this week of practice, and, and that's who's going to play on Saturday night. There you go, Coach Mateos. He does not want any complacency installed in his offensive line. And as you also heard him talk about the fact that they've got a lot of guys coming back, Tristan Hodge, Keanu Saliapaga. At some point, James Empey is going to get fully healthy as well. They have almost their full complement of players, and that is what's the exciting part if you're a BYU football fan that's looking at this offensive line. They've been very good so far this year, but I think that they are continuing to get better and better, and they're getting more and more healthy as the season goes along. He wants nothing more than to put the best five out there on the field, and that's a very positive sign if you're a BYU football fan who wants to see this offensive line get back to being as dominant as they were earlier on in the season rather than being the unit that struggled a little bit against the likes of UTSA as well as, uh, uh, not Texas State, Houston. They have Texas State this week. We'll see how the Bobcats look on the defensive line. One final thing, uh, Chandon Herring, one of the offensive linemen who's been starting for BYU, started the season at right tackle, now at right guard. He also talked about why all those oars were there, and he had a very interesting insight into it. So here you go, Chandon Herring, and why he thinks all those oars were listed on the depth chart. As soon as you think you're safe, you're not. Um, one of my favorite expressions, I think it's Marriott's uh, mission statement or something, is success is never final. And so if, if you think you've won the spot, then you you don't improve as quickly as if you're fighting for it every single day. And so this is something that we're building as a culture is that we have a big room with a lot of great players in it. And if you ever think that, you know what, this spot's like mine, I don't have to work for it, you're wrong and you'll be swapped out. So it's he's just letting you guys catch a glimpse of the culture and the competition we have in our room. There you go, it's Chandon Herring, and he kind of giving you some insight. These guys, their jobs are never safe, and Kalani Satake has preached this since he showed up at BYU. The best players will play. He doesn't care regardless of position. It's all about competition week in and week out, and the offensive line, 
Eric Mateos, I think he takes that to heart, and he makes these guys earn it every week, especially this week when you have options like a Tristan Hodge and a Keanu Salipaga, who have started multiple games in their tenure at BYU so far. They're back available as options. You're trying to find the right best combo of five guys to start that game and get your rotation maybe paired to a five, six, seven-man rotation. We'll see what happens with that, but... I think that Eric, uh, Eric Mateos is doing a good job with this and Shannon Herring explaining, you know what, this is how things are in this program. We take nothing for granted, we go to work, and we have to prove it each and every day. So, big thank you to Eric Mateos and Shannon Herring for their comments. Always good to hear from them, and we'll be looking forward to seeing how they do against Texas State this coming Saturday night. All right, that'll do it for a Thursday edition of the show. On tomorrow's show, we'll do our weekly preview edition of what to expect expect from Texas State when they come to Provo Saturday night there at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Is this really going to be any sort of a game? We'll break all of that down on tomorrow's podcast. For first things first, a big thank you to all of you for your support of the podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to be with you guys each and every day. So hope you guys enjoy this podcast half as much as I enjoy bringing it to you guys. It is a ton of fun to talk BYU sports every single day. Have a great rest of your day. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast for October 22nd, 2020. And we will talk to you guys tomorrow. Tomorrow.